What up, you guys? Welcome back to Gen Alpha Talk, and today I will be telling you guys how to change someone's mind. It's pretty hard to change someone who has a fixed mindset when they already think they know something, but when you disagree, you try to debate and they just completely shut you out. They don't want to listen to anything. That's that's the problem to humanity. And this is how we have fights, we have uh, debates that lead to arguments. It's because people have fixed mindsets. We can't just listen to opinions. Well, today I will be talking about how to change someone's minds. And these tips are from research, so research can back me up. If you could only tie that special someone to a share and force them to listen or make them read that one thing that would finally change their stubborn mind, they'd finally see their light. But that's never going to happen. And even if that whole it's illegal to kidnap and restrain people part wasn't an issue, two fears it wouldn't work. There are no guarantees when it comes to changing people's minds. So what does work most often? Back in the 1970s, Portland State University of Psychology professor Dr. Frank Wesley looked into why some U.S. prisoners of war defected to North Korea during the Korean War. And it wasn't because they were tortured, it was because they were shown, they were shown kindness. His research showed that virtually all of the defectors came from a single U.S. training camp. As part of their training, they had been taught that the North Koreans were cruel heartless barbarians who despite the United States and single-mindedly sought its destruction. But when those POWs were shown kindness by their captors, their initial indoctrination unraveled. They became far more likely to defect than those POWs, who either hadn't been told anything about the North Koreans or had been given more neutral accounts of them. Unexpected kindness not restrains change minds, but having a Reasonable discussion these days seems impossible. The world is so increasingly polarized that no furniture being broken passes for a civil conservation. Everyone is so sure they're right that they end up doing everything wrong. We need more discussions where no one is demonized, shamed, and both sides are open to changing their mind. Not only is it more pleasant, but that harsh stuff doesn't actually work. It just makes enemies more vicious. Yes, some topics will always be controversial and things won't always go smoothly, but they don't have to go badly. Now would be a great it would be great if someone had taken the time to pull all the insights from peer reviewed research professionals, negotiations, code exciting and apply epistemology into one book. Oh wait, someone has. Peter Buckhausen and James Lindsay have written an excellent book titled How to Have Impossible Conversations. It would definitely make my best of 2021 list, right behind David Epstein's range. Uh, frankly, this book taught me a great deal about the errors I personally make while verbally beating the hell out of people kindly sharing information. It's short but packed with useful information and fresh ideas. Uh, first, we're going to quickly cover a lot of fundamentals so we can get to the cool new toys. The first section is going to be a bit of lightning round. So, um, some of it may sound obvious, but if you neglect it, none of the subsequent ideas will work. So let's get to it. Uh, be a partner, not an adversary. Most of us go into a conversation with an uncautious 
unconscious war metaphor in our heads. Someone wins and someone loses. Zero sum. That rarely convinces anyone of anything. We need to shift our goal from winning to understanding. How does that lead to people changing their minds? To quickly summarize the grand strategy here, be nice and respectful. Listen, understand, and still doubt. You need rapport. That's just a fancy way of saying be nice. Be respectful. If you're not nice, uh, all the evidence in the uh, all the evidence in the world won't help you. Find common ground. Don't call the other person out except for the most extreme infractions. And always give people the opportunity to be wrong safely and with respect. Saying I told you so or shaming someone is a take no prisoners attitude. I mean, what do people do when they think you take no prisoners? They don't surrender. They fight to the death. You can't control their behavior, only yours. Just because they behave badly doesn't mean you doing the same will make it any better. Model the behavior you'd like to see in them. It's often contagious. And even if it's not, your behavior getting worse is certainly not going to help. Focus on listening and make sure they know you're listening. You can say a simple, I hear you, to acknowledge the words without necessarily agreeing with them. Make how in the world could anyone believe that? A question you ask yourself curiously, not a rhetorical question you ask yourself while shaking your head. And a big issue there these days is intentions. Research shows you probably assume they're far or they're so far worse than they really are. Exceedingly few people's primary goal is hurting others. People may have bad evidence, poor reasoning, or different but still noble values. But they're rarely evil. You know what it feels like when someone assumes you're a horrible person or incorrigibly stupid. You instantly dislike them and they have a 0.0 chance of changing your mind. Help others see your side by the same token. Do your best to see where they're coming from. Remember, you could both be wrong. It's okay to end a conversation. Things really go south when you forget this is an option. Don't lose a friendship and the single most effective way to have productive arguments on Twitter or Facebook is by not having arguments on Twitter or Facebook. Remember, changing positions on deeply held values can take time. It rarely happens with a sudden eureka moment, even if it, you do everything right. Most likely, you're not going to convince them. Uh, they're going to slowly convince themselves. Okay, our EpiPen infusion of the basics is complete. First step, how do we send in the shock troops? Oops, that's a war metaphor. Bad. Okay, uh, how do we send in the Walmart readers? Number one, use Rappaport's rules. You don't get it. The most common munition used early on in war metaphor conversations. How much better would your conversations go if you could take the issue off the table? All the while building Rappaport and showing the other side you're intellectually honest and fair. I mean, intellectually. So early on, after they initially throw a bunch of their reasoning at you, just throw your position back at them. Instead, Respond by following Rappaport's rules. 1. Attempt to re-express your target's position so clearly, vividly, and fairly that your target says, Thanks, I wish I thought of putting it that way. Number 2. List any points of agreement, especially if they are not matters of general or widespread agreement. 3. Mention anything you have learned from your target. And 4. And only... Then are you permitted to say so much as word of rebuttal or criticism? How much more positively would you respond if someone did that? 
In this era of hostile popularization, I fear I would immediately and uncontrollably hug them. Uh, uh, so now it must be time to do, like, podcasts always does, and hit them with unquestionable facts and data beyond reproach. Show them the error of their ways. Um, sadly, no. Number two, facts are the enemy. People aren't just going to hear your facts and suddenly have a road to Damascus moment. Merely delivering info rarely changes minds. That's where courtroom dramas. You don't hear one statistic and suddenly flip sides in neither or day. In fact, quite the opposite. Facts are like punches. They usually cause the other side to put their hands up and block whatever you send their way next. Again, you don't convince people. People convince themselves. Studies done as far back as the 1940s by Kurt Lewin shown uh, that lectures about why people should change their behavior were effective a measly 3% of the time. When people self-generated reasons for the same activity, behavior change occurred 37% of the time. People reject ideas or they are given and act on ideas they feel they came up with themselves. Yes, long time listeners, it's very ironic coming from episode that prides itself on presenting convincing facts and statistics. Hold on a sec. The tears are making it hard for me to see the screen. Don't deliver the facts. The more effective strategy is to instill doubt and let them convince themselves. But how do we start doing that? Number three, use the unread library effect. How does your phone work? Yeah, I know it has to do with computers and radio waves, but how do computers and radio waves work? Unless you have a degree in electrical engineering, there is only one honest bedrock answer here. You don't know. You don't really know how the vast majority of its stuff works. Please explain electricity to me. The closest any of us can get is the magic savvy stuff that makes things go. It's like the knowledge we have is a bunch of borrowed books from a trustworthy library. Books we never bothered to read. We're all a lot more certain about most of what we know than we have any right to be. That means how we know what we know and why we believe that we be- what we believe are actually far more fragile than we think and still far more doubt in debating the accuracy of the facts themselves. Leveraging the unread uh, library effect means you encourage the other person to talk and by politely asking them questions, allow them to see their own ignorance instead of you burying them with facts, they lead themselves into doubt. Socrates would be proud. At the very least, it often serves a moderate extreme belief because it's humbling to realize you can't really explain what your beliefs are based on. It reduces hostility because you don't have to throw those backfiring facts at them. You just ask sincere questions. Explicit invite explanations ask for specifics follow up with pointed questions that revolve around signing how someone knows the details and continue to openly admit your own ignorance. In many conversations, the more ignorance you admit, the more readily your partner in the conversation will step in with an explanation to help you understand. And the more they attempt to explain, the more likely they are to realize the limits of their own knowledge. The strategy not only helps moderate strong views, it models openness, willingness to admit ignorance, readiness, and revised beliefs. For example, partisans on both sides of the aisle support many government policies they barely understand. Has this policy actually been shown to work before? What are viable alternatives? How much would it cost? What are the potential downsides and how will it be rolled out? Most people go on instinct, not evidence, but this rarely stops them from being shrill and strident. 
The unread library effects can help people moderate to reuse, but in the current conversational war zone, extreme statements are all too common. People take positions that are so bad, so far off to the wall, that it's herculean task to find any sort of common ground. This turns things into an endless back and forth of yes, it is, and no, it isn't. How do you bring extreme positions down to earth? Number four, use scales. Use numerical scales to draw comparisons and bring people back to reality. Dem, our government is tyrannical. You, if Stalin's Russia was a nine out of ten in a government tyranny, where's our country right now? If the other person at least falls into the category of borderline sane and may go on to live with a semi-normal life, they will back off a bit and gain some perspective. It doesn't mean they're necessarily wrong, but you're providing context that will better ground extreme beliefs. You can also leverage skills to learn their pre-existing doubts, which you can later add fuel to. You. On a scale from 1 to 10, with 1 being no confidence and 10 being absolutely confidence, how confident are you that belief is true? Um, and add an eight. You just out of curiosity, why didn't you say nine? Now they start make a case against their own beliefs, a case that they find at least somewhat compelling. Smile, they're handing you a treasure map. Okay, now we're cooking, but what's the single most powerful method for getting people to give the other side an honest and fair look? Number five, use disconfirmation. That means asking them a variation on. Under what conditions could your belief be false? Reasonable, intellectually honest people, all two of them left on this planet will concede that they could be wrong and will respond with a solid hint as to what angle uh, as to what angle might convince them. Ask questions to clarify specific conditions under which they might reconsider their stance. So if the results of that study you're referencing couldn't be replicated, you'll be open to changing your mind. But of course not everybody is going to play fair. They can, reply, they can reply, absolutely nothing would convince me I'm wrong. But now they're saying their position is immutable, immutable truth. TM. Which, for the vast majority of issues, is like saying I hereby publicly admit to being an obsessed sealant. So to qualify for a sanity membership card, many will respond with something, but something that is wildly impossible. If you can bring a person back from the dead to say he was wrong about B, then I'd stop believing. How about that? This is frustrating, but it's also a tacit admission that they know the evidence doesn't justify their beliefs. They're basically admitting to being insincere. If you want to keep pursuing the point, you can address the issue of why the bar is so uniquely high for this topic and ask a question regarding a more reasonable challenge. I'm having trouble understanding. Do you use that reasoning process for anyone else or just X? Why do you think your standard for discrimination for this is so much higher than for other things? I'm wondering why some simple issue like why after all this time a dead Bigfoot has never been found isn't good enough to cast some doubt on your belief in Sasquatch. If you've done a good job with Rapid, the above methods will get you pretty far with most people, but it's no guarantee. Some would just staunchly say it. Now, nothing will change their minds. Others, no matter how polite or diplomatic you are, will claim to be morally offended by a question. You're a heretic, by God, and anarchist. Following them to b- relieve the cognitive distance by changing the subject. What do you do when you're dealing with the most extreme extremists? Number six. Serious beliefs are about values and identity. If you thought facts were useless before, they're doubly useless here. 
The most commonly held beliefs often have nothing to do with the truth. They don't even know which subway stop the truth is on. They're all about values and identities. And you know what neuroscience research says happens in people's brain when you challenge their identity beliefs? One interpretation of these activations in the context of the study is that these structures are signaling threats to deeply held beliefs in the same way that might signal threats to physical safety. As far as this brain is concerned, you might as well be brandishing an axe when you question Uncle Fred's politics at the, the holiday dinner table. Tread lightly. If you keep your rabbit game strong and have enough patience to fill an Amazon warehouse, it's possible to continue such a conversation. How? With the values version of the unread library effect. People have very strong feelings about moral issues, but they're usually only vaguely aware of the process that got them there. So change the subject from the accuracy of their beliefs to how they know their beliefs are true and how their beliefs contribute to their sense of personal identity. Don't dispute whether Bigfoot is real. Question how they know Bigfoot is real. These beliefs seem really important to you. What are you basing them on? In these stop by addressing whether their reasoning process is in line with the conclusions. Would every reasonable person draw the same conclusion? If they say yes, I'm a sincere reasonable person and I'm having trouble drawing the same conclusion, how did I get there? Use disconfirmation questions related to morality and the vision of a good person. Would you be a good person if you didn't hold this belief? Who are some people who are some examples of people who don't hold that belief who are good people? This is not a kill shot. Again, a Eureka moment is unrealistic. You can nicely expose contradictions in the reasoning and diplomatically loosen the connection between the big picture values, which you may agree with, and the specific beliefs, which you most certainly do. But how to reconcile it all is, in the end, into them. That said, executed properly, this angle will get you a lot further than endless shouting and declaration of blood feuds. You may notice a shift in perspective over time, and if you provoke curiosity on their part about alternate perspectives, that's a very good sign. Okay, time to round it all up, and learn the final thing you should definitely do when nothing else works. Let's sum it up. This is how to change people's minds. Be a partner, not an adversary. If you're trying to win, you're going to lose. The best approach is be nice, respectful, listen, understand, and still doubt. I refuse to change my mind about this. Next is to use Rappaport's rules. They can seem awkward, but they reduce conflict better than failure. Next step is facts are the enemy. Unless we're talking about the savvy, attractive people who read this, uh, I mean, who listen to this episode. Yes, facts are the enemy. Next, use the unread library effect. Let them talk, ask questions, let them expose their ignorance. Do not share when that happens. Use skills. Bring extreme statements down to earth with numbered comparisons, and unless they're certain at a level 10, they'll mention their own doubts, which can aid your cause. Use this confirmation. Eric, under what conditions would this confirmation not be effective? Serious beliefs are about values and identity. Don't attack what they believe. Focus on the validity of their reasoning process and whether their identity is the only way to be a good person. If absolutely nothing else works, they might just be totally unreachable sea lot. Or it could just be that you're the sea lot. And if you're unwilling to give any serious consideration to this possibility, that's a big red flag. Nobody thinks they're the problem, and that's the problem. After all, you're the one listening to episodes about how to change people's minds, aren't you? 
Yes, I plead guilty to being an accomplice. It's just a possibility to consider, but if you're serious about having few arguments to the death, it's a good idea to make sure you're really victim and not patient zero. So what do you do if you think you might be a typhoid Mary? Consider the beliefs you usually agree argue about. Now ask yourself these confirmation questions. Write down the answers, show them to a friend who has a different perspective than you in the, on the topic. This your pal few these responses past the impossibility sniff test. If you have zero friends with different perspectives, um, that's not a good sign. And if you tend to consider anyone with opposite views to be a morally repugnant subhuman pig man, <laughs> well, I think you have the answer as to whether you're an idiot. Changing other people's minds is extremely hard. Change your own can be even harder. But if you're up to the task, it's far, far more rewarding. On a scale of 1 to 10, I'm a 10 on that one. This is the end of my episode, and I hope you guys have had a great day. Yeah, so I want to say thank you. Hit the last subscribe and share. Wow, the time. Come on, man. Eh, goodbye, guys.